Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but nothing replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we are doing part two, talking with Dr. Krishna Rao. He is a colon and rectal surgeon and expert, currently working at Kuakini Medical Center. And we're going to be talking today about an unfortunate topic, cancer. But it's very important because there is screening available for colon cancer, and it is on the rise in younger populations. Colon and rectal cancer are often considered very similar, can be detected with some of the same testing, but actually have slightly different issues that go on with these two serious types of conditions. Dr. Rao, tell me a little bit about what the statistics are on colon and rectal cancer. So colon and rectal cancer is one of the more common cancers that we see in the United States. It's estimated that about 150,000 new cases per year are diagnosed, So, which makes this a, about the third most common cancer in the United States. So it does affect a lot of people. The incidence, meaning new cases of colorectal cancer, is going down in people over 65, for a very good reason that I'll explain um, a little bit later. It's about the same as it's been for the past 10, 15 years in people that are 50 to 64, middle-aged people. But in people that are under uh, age 50, it's increasing by about 2% per year. So we're seeing a large increase of what we call early onset colorectal cancer. Why do you think that is? That's a very difficult question to answer, and one I get asked a lot. We know there are certain risk factors for colorectal cancer. We know obesity is a risk factor. We know consumption of processed foods and um, meats that are high in nitrates, uh, cured meats, are risk factors for colorectal cancer. We know that smoking, heavy drinking is increases risk of this. However, a lot of patients you see have none of these risk factors. Additionally, globally, we're seeing an increase in young onset colorectal cancer. We suspect that there has to be something in the environment that we're being exposed to. And by environment, I mean everything from foods we eat to the chemicals that are in uh, our everyday items. But no one has been able to pinpoint exactly why there is this alarming increase in young onset colorectal cancer. Why are those people over 65 seeing a decrease? So that's a, it's a very interesting thing. In the United States, we've instituted colonoscopy as a screening, as the gold standard. Everyone remembers, oh, when I'm 50, I have to get a colonoscopy. Though, keep in mind, that age has now changed to 45. People uh, in the United States were actually fairly good at being at getting people to do colonoscopy. We have in Hawaii, especially, I think it's around a 63, 65% compliance with screening rate, which is much, much higher than a lot of other places. And because of that, when we do colonoscopy, we can remove what are called polyps or growths within the colon. And we think that these polyps are what grow into cancer over time. When we look back uh, historically looking at the data, we think that uh, colonoscopy has about a 69% decrease in new cases and about an, of colorectal cancer and about an 88% decrease in risk of death from colon cancer. Meaning that even if we do colonoscopy, we're detecting cancers 
earlier and so they can be cured either um, sometimes even using a colonoscope. Sometimes you'll need a surgery. But colonoscopy really is uh, decreasing those deaths and incidence of colorectal cancer. They, everyone always asks, there was, I'm not sure if you were familiar with a study that came out a couple of months ago, I think, but the news media made it a big deal. Colonoscopy doesn't decrease deaths. It was based on a large group of people they looked at in Europe. But what's really important when you look at that study is looking at what they were actually measuring. And the thing is, they counted people being offered a colonoscopy. So all of the people that they called in the colonoscopy group, it's called an intent to treat analysis, did not actually go through with having the colonoscopy. So if you do what's called a subgroup analysis or just look at the people who had the colonoscopy, yes, they have prevention of colorectal cancer. So be really careful when the news media brings up any of these things. But ultimately, the bottom line is, yes, colonoscopy is good. And we recommend for age 45 for average risk people. And we do earlier if you have family history, if you have genetics, or if you have symptoms. So real quick, just to follow up on the news media issue, the other thing I'm seeing commercials for now is Cologuard. Has that actually been able to expand the number of people that are being tested for colon cancer? And how is it different than doing a colonoscopy? That's a really good question. And I do use Cologuard at times. The difference between a colonoscopy and Cologuard is that a colonoscopy is looking for everything from a small polyp all the way to a cancer. Cologuard specifically looks for what's called advanced polyps or advanced adenomas in cancer. The sensitivity, meaning how good the test is at finding things, is it's fairly good. The problem is, is that Cologuard can have false positives, meaning use it comes up positive, and then you have to undergo a colonoscopy anyways. Where I see Cologuard particularly useful is in patients that either don't have access to doctors to do the colonoscopy or patients for whatever reason who will not do a colonoscopy. It's better to do the Cologuard test than it is to do nothing. However, I still am a firm believer that colonoscopy is the gold standard, and in the United States, this is considered the gold standard. The other thing you have to keep in mind is that Cologuard has certain groups that are not eligible to use it, high-risk groups. So if you've ever had a polyp before, if you have a first-degree relative with colorectal cancer, you cannot use Cologuard. I have seen it ordered for patients that have those conditions because they wanted to get out of further colonoscopies, but that's uh, it's an inappropriate use of that test. Now, how would you position Cologuard versus the standard fecal immunoassay test? That's also a really good question. Um, there are arguments that there is no significant benefit over the standard fecal immunochemical assay test, which that is better than the old stool cards that we just wipe uh, to see if there was blood in them. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to stay away from that one. There's a debate about if Cologuard is uh, cost effective in that for the marginally increased benefit. 
All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. I'm here with Dr. Krishna Rao, colon and rectal surgeon. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what are the symptoms of colon cancer so that if you have done your screening or if you haven't, what are some of the things you should be concerned about and how would you know if it's time to get it checked out? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Krishna Rao. And today we're talking about colon and rectal cancer. Now, right before the break, we talked about the other types of colon screening. If you can't do a colonoscopy for people who are homeless, for people who live in rural communities, like you mentioned, this could be a situation where fecal immunochemical assay testing or Cologuard could be good. Gold standard really is colonoscopy. I always look on it like colonoscopy detects precancers and cancers, so there's that preventative aspect. And if you catch something really early, this could really help you going further. Now, let's talk a little bit about symptoms of colon cancer, because we just talked about the screening recommendations, but that's good for everybody, and we should all follow good screening. What are some of the symptoms of colon cancer? So if someone hasn't done their screening, we know that hopefully they will, but if you had symptoms, what are those common experiences that would get people alarmed? So I think this is really important because this, when we look at the symptoms of colorectal cancer, in hindsight, they're very obvious for most patients that are missing it. Additionally, patients that are younger than the age for screening may have these symptoms as the first presenting symptom, and they need to tell their doctor and to follow up on it to make sure that they're being uh, adequately worked up for and just to make sure it's not cancer. So those symptoms are predominantly, the biggest thing is bleeding. So bleeding, whether it's bright blood in the stool or dark red blood in the stool or purple blood like clots in the stool is always something that should be discussed with your doctor. Typically, that would be for cancers that are on the left side or towards the rectum or the end of the large intestine. The reason why is that usually cancers on the right side are bleeding very slowly, and as it mixes with the stool as it's going through, it either will make the stool a dark color, like a black color, or if it's bleeding slowly enough, you won't see anything, and it will show up on your routine lab work as having anemia. Anytime you, somebody has anemia that we don't know or low blood counts, one of the things we think about as doctors is colorectal cancer. Other symptoms are changing in bowel habits. This can include you're newly constipated and you hadn't been before. This can include your stools look a little different. They're very thin. Another way, uh, your stools have mucus. You're getting increasingly bloated and feeling like you can't get your stool out. Um, and then some of the more generic or um, vague symptoms are decreased appetite, weight loss, and you don't know why you're losing weight, um, and abdominal pain and some more advanced situations. So any one of those symptoms worthy enough to talk to your doctor about and make a plan to check it out in some fashion? Exactly. 
way too often do I see patients that have had rectal bleeding for six, 12 months, if not more, meaning, you know, they see blood in the toilet bowl every time they're going. And they were like, oh, it's hemorrhoids. That's a very common thing. And sometimes some of my patients have even been told by their primary care doctors, you're too young for can a colon cancer. It's hemorrhoids. And lo and behold, it's a colon cancer. What are some of the other cancers that could heighten the suspicion of a concern about colon cancer? If there's a family history of what other types of malignancies, might you get more concerned? So the strongest one would be other relatives with colon cancer, particularly first-degree relatives, meaning uh, mom, dad, brothers, sisters. We also do look at uh, further uh, relatives, um, grandparents, because especially if, so say your grandparent had colon cancer and then your parent was very good with getting their colonoscopy and had polyps removed, that may be something that we uh, would consider screening you early for. That's a discussion to have with your doctor. Other cancers that can be tied with colon cancer are other gastrointestinal cancers. There are certain rare genetic conditions that can link other sorts of cancers together. So anytime, if you have a lot of cancer in your family, it's something to talk to your doctor about because there are times when we will send you for genetic testing, even if you don't have a cancer, but just because your family has a very strong history of cancer. So that's definitely something to discuss with your doctor about. Lynch syndrome comes to mind. <clears throat> One of the cancer types of conditions that puts you at risk if you have other family members who've had cancer, whether it be breast cancer or colon cancer or in some cases, I think melanoma is also one of the risks. So you kind of have to look at the overall picture, not just colon, but what other cancers in general. Exactly. And it's kind of a complicated thing to look at, which is why I just encourage you know your family history. If you can ask your relatives, ask them. I know there are a lot of families that don't talk about these sorts of things, but it is crucially important to your health to know what diseases run in your family. Now, are the symptoms of colon cancer and rectal cancer very similar? Or you mentioned depending on the right side or left side? So colon and rectal cancer are generally thought of as the same thing. The rectum is the end of your colon. It is a very specialized part of your colon. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So it is a very specialized part of your colon. So there's additional treatment considerations. But it's all a spectrum going from the end to the beginning of the colon. But yes, the symptoms are a little different. If you have a cancer on the right side of the colon, which is the beginning side, usually on that side, the fecal material is liquid. So you're not going to have a narrowing of a bowel movement versus if it's at the very end of the rectum, the bowel movements are solid. The other thing is, like I was talking about bleeding, if you bleed from the very end, it's going to be bright red and very noticeable. But if you bleed from the beginning, it's going to have mixed in with the stool and may not be so noticeable. So when we talk about colon cancer, we talked a little bit about the statistics of who gets it. We talked a little bit about the risk factors. There's different stages of colon cancer. And what, what sort of treatment options are available based on the stage? So let's go with early stage. You catch it early. It is a cancer. Requires more than just a colonoscope to remove it. What would the treatment be for early stage colon cancer? So when we're talking about early stage colon cancer, we're talking about stage one colon cancer. And perhaps you could include some early stage twos in that as well. 
So it's a little different when you're talking about colon versus rectum. And rectum is very complicated because it also depends on where the tumor is within the rectum. But just in a generally speaking, when we talk about stage one, where it's very superficial, or stage two, where it's a little bit deeper, but still confined to the bowel wall, surgery can be completely curative. Same thing as if you can endoscopically remove some of the stage ones, meaning with the colonoscope, there are certain gastroenterologists in our community who do the advanced procedures with those. You, it can be curative to just remove the segment of the intestine with the, or remove the tumor itself. The reason why when we do surgical removal of this, we take a big segment of the colon is because we're also making sure it's not a more advanced. The way we make sure it's not more advanced, we all we get the imaging scans like CT scans, which give us a big picture idea. But we have the segment of colon we take out along with all of these things called lymph nodes that are with the colon looked at by another kind of specialty doctor called a pathologist that looks at the material under a microscope and looks for microscopic deposits of cancer. If you have these, it advances the stage of the cancer and it may mean that you need chemotherapy to get rid of those small little deposits of cancer. So if you can catch it early, surgery could take care of it. Oh, yes. Surgery can be curative for a large portion of early diagnosed colon cancers. Another reason to make sure you get your colonoscopy. Oh, exactly. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Krishna Rao and talk a little bit about some of those more advanced colon cancers and what's more common that he might see in the office and the differences in the type of surgical approaches. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Krishna Rao. He's a colon and rectal surgeon at Kuikini Medical Center. And right before the break, we were talking about surgical cure for early stage colon cancer. And now we're going to talk a little bit about what about some of those more advanced stages. So Dr. Rao, you mentioned that, you know, if there's no lymph nodes, this could be curative with surgery. If there are lymph nodes, if this is a more advanced stage, maybe three or four, then surgery may not be the option, or it might be helpful but not curative. What are the differences in the types of surgeries that might need to take place if you have a more advanced cancer? So I'm going to split this discussion into colon and rectum because they're very different from each other. So when we talk about colon cancer, unless the tumor is very advanced, meaning um, that it's uh, potentially growing into something else, the traditional management is that we do surgery first because surgery also stages the lymph nodes. There are certain situations in which surgery is not an option. Those would be situations in where the cancer has moved to other parts of the body and is no longer what we call surgically curative. Sometimes the cancer can move to other parts of the body and still be curative. We have other types of surgeons. We have chest surgeons, we have liver surgeons that can take out deposits of colon cancer in those areas. 
but that requires a really detailed discussion between the uh, the colorectal surgeon, the um, liver surgeon or lung surgeon, and the medical oncologist or the doctor that will be giving the chemotherapy. So if you can do a surgery and potentially achieve surgical cure, this would be the type of surgery you talked about, take out a portion of the colon and then reattach, if you can, the colon to the other segment. How long is our colon? Are we able to take out like 12 inches or so and still be okay? Oh, yes. Most people do not need the vast majority of their colon. Perhaps we did, uh, as I mentioned before, when we were eating enough fiber, but none of us eat enough fiber to really need as much colon as we do. I kind of estimate it as roughly we have two feet on each part of the colon. Um, it's give or take. You know, some people do have a more stretchy colon than others. But in general, you can remove a significant portion of the colon up to half without much of any change in bowel habits. Generally, also, your colon adapts to having a shorter length and will make up for absorbing any water that that did not do. Uh, it does reduce constipation to have your colon removed, but we remove parts of the colon for non-cancer things all the time, such things like diverticulitis. And in general, patients have no negative effect. Sometimes they even have positive effect, meaning less constipation, less straining from that. So it's very safe to remove the colon. Typically, colon cancer, we join you back together. Uh, there is no need for an ostomy bag with colon cancer surgery in most situations there are a few special circumstances um so separate yeah. from colon cancer yeah. you made a point to differentiate rectal cancer because it's treated differently depending on the circumstances what are the surgical treatments for that so rectal cancer is treated differently because of one the specialized function of the rectum and two the fact that the rectum is in a tiny place inside the pelvis so when we look historically, we used to cut out every rectal cancer as the way uh, as the way to treat this, and patients had a lot of rectal cancers come back in the pelvis. What we've discovered over the years, just to make a long story short, is that generally, if we treat with chemotherapy and radiation at the same time, and then either before or after that chemotherapy you have the lowest risk of it coming back both in the pelvis and elsewhere. So we, in most cases of rectal cancer, there are a few exceptions, we tend to treat with chemotherapy and chemotherapy with radiation before the surgical management. Interestingly enough, this has led to a small number of patients who actually have their tumors completely disappear before we ever get around to surgery. That sounds ideal, but it's only a small group of patients. So you would do the chemotherapy and radiation before surgery and then follow up after surgery with further chemotherapy just to make sure that it's eradicated in certain circumstances. Depending on where the rectal cancer is, that's where we start talking about things like colostomies. So just to clarify that, a lot of times you can do all your chemotherapy and surgery is your last step. Um, especially if you don't have any what's called metastatic disease, you're done after surgery, which is a lot of patients, one, they do better with that because surgery is the hardest part on your body out of them. Um, 
And there is, we see in literature, there is a tend for people after surgery to be like, I don't want any more therapy. I'm cancer's out. So that's why we like to do everything up front. There's studies that show that patients do better with that. So as far as the different kinds of surgeries we do for rectal cancer. So the important thing to know is how close is the rectal cancer to the anus, which we talked about in our last segment. The anus, as we talked about, has a special muscle in it that helps us hold the stool in. And if the cancer is too close to that, we cannot save, or if it's growing into it, we cannot save the anus. That would be the case in which we need a permanent colostomy bag. However, most other rectal cancers, even if they're higher up, we require a temporary ostomy bag. That's very different. It, you usually keep it for about three months, and then we can get rid of it. And so if you need, if you can reattach, you do. If you can't, the ostomy might be permanent, but you can live with that. Oh, yes. Patients, uh, lots of patients have ostomies, not always because of cancer either. Patients that have ulcerative colitis, a lot of them have ostomy. Patients with Crohn's disease, a lot of them have ostomies. Patients who are in traumatic accidents, patients that are paraplegic or quadriplegic, meaning like they can't move their extremities. So, you know, people can have very fulfilling lives with ostomies. I follow a doctor on Instagram, actually. He's a um, he has inflammatory bowel disease, and he surfs with his ostomy. He is an ICU doctor. He, you know, you can do pretty much anything you want to do with an ostomy. It just might take a little bit of planning. I've seen like NFL football players; they could have ostomies. There's quite a few out there who did. So, ostomy itself shouldn't scare you. If you're worried, you should get checked out. Whatever your rectal problems are, and know that if it is something serious like cancer, it can be treated. And you can still live your life, even if you do have to get to the point of having an ostomy. Oh, yes. And we have some great uh, ostomy nurses in our community. Um, I work with one quite a bit. Her name is Ann Jenbo. She's been a member of this community for ages. She's taking care of a lot of patients. And, you know, she runs a support group. And patients meet other patients that have ostomies. And they realize this isn't the end of the world, even though it seemed like it at the time. And I have met those patients. A lot of those patients are my patients. And you can be very happy with an ostomy. But I will say there are a significant number of patients who are very reluctant to do surgery because of worrying about that. Well, it sounds like we got our work cut out for us to sort of demystify having an ostomy. Because if people really can live happy, productive lives, I would hate to see someone not do a surgery because of that fear. Oh, yes, 100%. You should have her on your show as a guest. All right. I'm going to make a note of that and write that down. So in general, colon cancer, colon and rectal cancer, screen for it. Do your colonoscopy. Really, no reason not to do that unless you have some extreme type of medical condition where you can't do a colon prep or just logistically you have to do some other type of colon screening. But, you know, colonoscopies are not the worst thing in the world. I had one. And honestly, everybody complains about the prep, and it, it wasn't that bad. I always put it this way to patients. The one-time prep for every few years is a lot easier than the multiple rounds of prep I'm going to make you do if I have to operate on you. I will say, though, any colon cancer screening is better than no screening. So talk to your doctor about it. Don't hide from being screened. If you are unwilling to do a colonoscopy, there is still a survival benefit 
out of even doing those old stool cards we were talking about. Granted, maybe the cancer is diagnosed at a slightly later state, but the survival benefit is still there. That's been shown for a very long time. So get some sort of colon cancer screening. I'd prefer a colonoscopy, but I'll take anything. All right. Heard from the mouth of an excellent colon and rectal surgeon. Thank you, Dr. Krishna Rao. You're at Kuakini Medical Center, and I appreciate all you do in the community to help expand the awareness of colon and rectal problems. Well, last week we talked about rectal issues and, and a lot of different ways to help promote good health for the colon. And this week we talked about colon cancer and colon prevention of cancer and the benefit of just doing the colonoscopy. All right, if you'd, if you'd like to join and listen to this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we'll be right here next week on The Body Show, Monday at 6.30. See you then.